0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. Welcome in the name of Jesus. May his grace and peace be with you this morning. And particularly uh, to a few people, Um, Delisa McKenzie lost her father a few weeks ago. Delisa, may the peace of Christ be upon you. And for Jean, for Tim and Julie, and for everyone in this room that considered Lee a brother, a friend, may the peace of Christ be upon you this morning. We are a church family that seeks to be transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way back to God. And the way we do that is through gathering in the name of the Father, growing to the image of the Son, and to go by the power of the Spirit. And this year we are focusing on growing, growing into His image. And Brett began us in the book of James, Wisdom from Above, where James has a lot of practical wisdom for growth, for what it means to live a life that images or looks like Jesus' life. And so today, we're in James chapter one, beginning verse nine, up through 18. The text says this. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created let's pray father as always we give you thanks we give you thanks for the life of lee we give you thanks for all your good gifts we give you thanks that you don't change like the shadows. And for your word of truth, we give you thanks. So God, I ask that you give us all ears to hear, that you give us hearts and desires to follow you and bodies that will obey. God, I ask this morning for the gift of preaching. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Are you a person that wonders about strange things? About things that maybe are confusing, like why do we say this when we mean this? Why do we do this when this is the, maybe the better way to do it? You know, occasionally I'm struck by a commercial that I think at least, I don't know about you, but it touches some of the things that I feel and articulates ways that I feel about the world. And so, well, I thought instead of talking about it, maybe we could just watch. We could pull up this commercial. You guys watch. Here's a little question for you. Why are there interstate highways in Hawaii? If you enjoy wasting time, is it really wasted? Yo, I was wondering, why does quicksand work so slowly? It makes no sense. They should call it then slow, slow sand. Shouldn't the word ambiguous have more than one meaning? If there's an exception to every rule, is there an exception to that rule? Why do they call it your funny bone? You ever hit it? It's not funny. If you had amnesia and then were cured, would you remember that you forgot? Why is it called a pineapple when it's not pine or apple? I just uh, work at a fruit stand. What if we made the first thing you want other drivers to notice unnoticeable until they turn on? Question everything. We did. It's your journey in the all-new Hyundai Tucson, our best Tucson ever. Okay, so who are you talking to? North America and the surrounding territories. <laughs> question everything, right? Why do you call it a pineapple when it's neither pine nor apple? It's a good question, right? Why is it called quicksand? It was so slow. Why didn't you call it slow sand? Why are there interstate highways in Hawaii when there's no going between states? I love the, the one, shouldn't, have, shouldn't ambiguous have more than one meaning? That's a great one. Do you like that one? Those are great questions. And when we come to confusing parts of, of life or confusing statements, something that should be obvious, we go, what? Why is it that way? James actually gives us something that's a bit like that. That we should go, huh, why is it this way? So in James chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, it says this. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What? That doesn't really resonate with us it might resonate with us a little bit but it's like why would you why the rich take pride in their humiliation but particularly in Greek culture they would fit into that commercial to say why would why would that be the case why would the rich why would they want To take pride in their humiliation. They're in a high place. And the humble or the poor. They're in a low place. Why does this get flipped around? It's neither apple or pine. So why do we call it a pineapple? Why are you doing this James? Because in Greek culture. One of the ways that. One of the things that was very very important. Was honor. And so those that could boast about their own wealth, about their own success, about their own achievements, about their high place in society could gain more honor. They would boast in order to receive more honor, more riches, more wealth. And honor in a Greek ancient Greek culture worked like this, that if you have it, I don't. If you have it, I don't. So, in order to get it, I got to get it from you. I got to get it by shaming you, which could bring honor to me. Or if I have a high place of honor, then in order to keep it is to keep you shamed. So, oftentimes, and James later on talks about this, the rich would exploit the poor in order to get more honor, more status, more wealth. They did this to maintain their own honor by shaming others and keeping them in their place. But James says this, the poor should boast in their high position. And the rich should boast in their humiliation. That if in Greek culture, if you boast in your high position of having wealth, then the humiliating position is the low position of being poor. But in the kingdom of God, there is this type of reversal that happens to where James just says it almost as bluntly as he can. He says this, the poor, they should boast in their high position, and the rich they should boast in their humiliation. This has to be one of those, wait, what kind of moments for the person reading this? Then it goes on to say this, it says, they will pass away like a flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat. And withers the plant, it blossoms, fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their own business. One of the interesting things that you find in Scripture is that oftentimes, and you find this some, especially in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? We know the saying, right? The one who dies with the most toys still dies. You know that saying? Which is kind of a leveling statement. Right, Whether you're rich or poor, death is going to get you. It doesn't really matter. And so Ecclesiastes has this kind of statement as well. kind of has this, like, it doesn't matter how hard you work or how poor, how, how, how little you work. It doesn't matter how poor you are, how, how rich you are, how wealthy you are. In the end, it all levels out. But not so with the book of James. James is not interested, or at least doesn't see the world as death being the great equal, the equalizing factor. He doesn't want to say the rich and the poor are exactly the same. No, James goes even further, and he says, actually, it's the poor. Those that are poor are in the highest position. the rich and the powerful are humbled. James is suggesting as Luke does in Luke chapter 152 that God puts down the mighty from their seats and exalts the humble and the meek. This is no leveling. This is this. It's the poor that have a high position. So We'll talk about this a little bit more, Brett. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But in James 2, verse 5, pull that up real quick. It says this, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the promise of those who love him? Hasn't God chose the poor to be rich in faith? This is what James thinks. This is how he sees the world, is that he's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. And the rich, like a flower in Palestine in the spring, it comes up for a few weeks and it's beautiful and then it just withers away. And he goes on to say this. But you, you have dishonored the poor. James has a lot to say about the relationship, the economic relationship between rich and poor. About who gets honored and who doesn't. And he lifts up the poor to say God is going to exalt those. But the rich, they're going to be brought down. It reminds me of a, a, a priest that became quite famous for, for actually living this out but writing this. His name is Gustavo Gutierrez. He's from Peru. He has this famous phrase that he talks about, that God has a preferential option for the poor. And a lot of times when I say that to students, they're a bit confused Because they're like, God God doesn't favor anybody. God treats everybody equal. In fact, later on in James, it's gonna talk about favoritism a little bit. And I think Gutierrez would say, yes, you're right. He does talk about favoritism, and that's the point. God has a preferential option for the poor. He doesn't show favoritism. You're like, what? And what he means is this. Is that if we say all people, right? Like the rich and the poor. Like we treat them all the same. It is human nature for us to favor the rich and the wealthy and the powerful. And if you don't think so, let me give you an example. I use this with students. I say, if someone very famous and powerful came to campus, and then I try to give some examples. Like, like, so like the president, of course, half the class is like, nah, we don't, we don't really. And I'm like, Oprah? I'm like, ah. I was like, well, who would you pick that everybody could agree is powerful and famous? And this past week they said, The Rock. I was like, okay, The Rock. If The Rock came to campus, if Dwayne Johnson came to campus, everybody know who The Rock is? <laughs> All right, there we go. Surely we can't disagree on The Rock. Right? If there's anything we can agree on this morning, is that if the rock showed up, yes, yes. If the rock showed up, what do you think they would do on campus? If the rock came to speak on campus, what do you think they would do? Every broken sidewalk would get fixed. New flowers would be planted. Everything would be cleaned up. If something needed a fresh coat of paint, you'd put paint on it. I mean they would prepare and be ready, ready to impress. Because if the rock showed on the campus, you need to get ready for that. And the students are smiling like, Yeah, the rock. The rock. And then I asked this question. What happens when a homeless person walks on campus? And the student stops smiling. And they say, we'd probably call campus security. You see what I mean? God has a preferential option for the poor. Because if all things are equal for us, we naturally prefer the rich and the powerful. Shane Claiborne, in his book, Irresistible Revolution, he talks about, he wrote this several years ago, but he talks about, he was at Willow Creek Church, he was interning there, and he talked about surveying, he surveyed a group of strong believers whether Jesus spent time with poor people, and he did this long kind of sociological survey for a project that he had for school. And nearly 80% of the strong believers put that, yes, Jesus spent time with poor people. Then he said he inserted, he snuck in another question at the end of that survey that asked, how much time do you spend with poor people? Or do you spend time with poor people? And he said at the beginning, he said 80% of the people said, yes, Jesus spent time with poor people. But at the end of the survey, when he asked, do you spend any time with poor people? He said only 2% said they spent any kind of significant time with poor people. And this was Shane Claiborne's conclusion. He said this. He said, what I, the tragedy is, it's not that the church doesn't love poor people. The tragedy is this. They just don't know any poor people. And that they somehow think they can follow Jesus, who they said spent time with poor people without actually spending time with the poor. So the question comes up for James. They actually here's here's what James says. He says, "God honors the poor." And the question for you and I is, who do you honor? And if you're experiencing some uncomfort right now, sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk about economics. You may be experiencing the culture shock of the kingdom. You may be experiencing the great reversal where Jesus and God honor the poor. And the rich are brought low. Shane Claiborne goes on to say this. He says, when the poor and the rich meet, riches lose all their meaning. And he says, and if the rich and the poor actually meet, you may begin to see the end of poverty. I don't know if he's right about that. But I'd love to find out. There's also something else a bit surprising and shocking, like what, why, in the book of James. In verse 12 through 15, he goes on to say this. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. He goes on to say this. I'll go next slide, yeah. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. What's surprising here, I think, is that he talks about trials, which we talked about last last week. Take pure joy when you experience trials. Blessed are those, honorable are those when they experience trials. They receive the crown of life. When they pass the test, they receive the crown of life. And what's odd about this is that in a Jewish mind, here's how the world works. Much like the rich, have high places and the poor have low places, it gets, gets, that gets reversed. In the world of a Jewish mind, he says this. They think this way. That the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. You find it all over the Old Testament. In fact, we've talked about this in the book of Proverbs. The righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. So, you mean to tell me when I experience some kind of suffering, when I experience some kind of trial, This is a good thing? Doesn't that make you wicked? But there's this great reversal that happens where he says, consider it pure joy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Consider it pure joy when you face trials because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But when you are tempted, he says, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And that also means that God cannot use evil to bring about his purposes. At least that's what James thinks. I know there's other ways in reading scripture, and, but James is saying this. Hey, if you're experiencing these things, God's not bringing this. If you're being tested, and evil's coming over you, God's not doing that. For if whatever is evil is against the will and purposes of God, God can't participate in something that's against his will and his purposes. In the same way, he's not going to ask you to participate in something that is against his purposes and his will. That's not of God. When I was in Uganda, there's, there was lots of suffering. There was lots of tragedy. Went to more funerals in six years in Uganda than I've gone to in my whole adult life here in the United States. There's a lot of death and dying. And one of the things that Ugandans would often say was it was God's will. And I understood why they said that. I understood. If you've ever said that about losing a loved one, I totally understand. It was God's will. It was a way of comforting themselves. It was a way of saying, hey, God has a bigger plan. It was a way of saying, God's in control. But I remember gathering some church leaders together and we were studying the book of James which was such an interesting because their world actually matches more of James's world than our own so experiencing this with them was a real joy and i remember having this conversation and we were talking about this it's god's will it's god's will and i turned to them and i said i understand what you're saying but death is not god's The will of God is for life. When he spoke it into being at the beginning, and even though death is among us now, God's will is for life. God's will was never for Lee to die. Is God in control? He's sovereign, yes. Yes. But here's how I know that's not God's will. Because one day, God is going to say, Lee, get up. Because God's will is for life. So when we're tempted, one of the things. It says that when we're tempted by evil, this doesn't come from God. He says this actually comes from our own desires. And I think one of the things that's very important for us to understand about who we are as human beings is that we are, if nothing else, desiring beings. One of the things I think our culture tells us, whether implicitly or explicitly, is that you are thinking beings. And this is how we talk about in the church for a long time, right? We care about what you think or about what you believe, right? What's important is what you believe. And what, what you believe is very important. Don't get me wrong. I spend a lot of time teaching students how to think and, what, to be, and what, what we think Scripture says, how to believe. And I want you to believe in God and all the right things, but believing in that sense we we think believing has to do with our thinking. That if we think right, that that's good. But what we've lacked, as much as believing and thinking is a part of who we are, what we've, what we've lacked to, what we've not talked about too much is our desire. What do you love? What do you want? I think commercials and marketing... They know exactly who you and I are. They don't think you are primarily a thinking being, do they? Do commercials go after your reason? Think about it. Here we go, see? Think about it. They don't go after your reason. Because they know who you are. You don't primarily make decisions out of your own thinking. You make it out of your loves. You make it out of your desires. So when Nike has a commercial, do they tell you all the facts about their shoes and what they can do and why you should buy them? No. They put it on a star athlete who can jump really high or run really fast or do something that's amazing. Someone you look up to and you admire potentially and you want to be like, that you desire to be like, and what they're saying is, if you put on our shoes, you can achieve that desire, that want. You're desiring beings. And I wonder if, not that it's not important for us to think right, but I wonder if we talk more about what we do. What we desire. Because God has given us these desires. Desire is not necessarily a bad thing. You can desire good things. You can desire bad things. But James makes it clear that it is our desires that lead us. When they desire the wrong things. That they lead to sin. They lead to death. And so the question is, Is this God is a desiring being, and like God, we are desiring beings. So, my question to you the question that James has for us is, What do you desire? What do you love? Do you love the things that God loves? Do you love who God loves? At least you're honest. (laughs) Do you love who God loves and what God loves? Do you love the image of God that is in others? Or do you desire this just the image of others? Does your desire for the image of God in others produce kindness and faithfulness? Or does your desire of the image of others, does it produce lust, envy, envy? Jealousy. Here's one the poor. Does your love of the poor desire, does it produce a desire in you to honor them with justice, with compassion and solidarity? Or does it produce in you annoyance and contempt and apathy? Like God, we are desiring beings. What do you love? Well, there's one thing that's not surprising. That's not very confusing that James says. He ends this way, verse 16 through 18. He says this, He says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In the first century, it was thought that the heavens and the stars were constant. Even though they moved, they were constant. They were dependable. You knew what the seasons were. But on earth... All of these shadows, they change from moment to moment and time to time. And so he's kind of appealing to their sense of how the earth works. The stars and the heavenly bodies, they're constant. They don't change. But all these earthly things, they change all the time. And so he says this, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. God does not bring about evil. God brings about good. And so the question is this. Every good gift is from God. So what good things are in your life? Look around this room. Seriously, look around this room. Are there people in this room that God has gifted you to love? Good people. That are gifts?
1: Are there things
0: that God has given you? Good things to share? Maybe with the poor? Are there circumstances that God has gifted you with that give allow you to give praise? Every good gift is from God. What are the good gifts that God given you. Because James says this, that he has given us the gift of the word of truth. That each and every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given the word of truth to you. So that somehow you might become some first fruits of all that he's created the beginning of what God will ultimately do when He reverses, when the poor are exalted. When all evil is done away with. And you can forever share in all the good gifts that God has given you right now. Let's stand together and give Him thanks for all His goodness.